Welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through our experiences of M&A projects where we've been involved and we unpack the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose is simply to leave you with valuable lessons that you can use in your M&A projects. And so let's not waste any more time and get this podcast underway. Hey, Robin, how are you going there? We are actually good down here in Melbourne because um, unlike the rest of the country, our COVID is relatively under control and we're sitting here smiling slightly because the rest of the states have now suffered the same issues that, uh, that we have. I tell you what, I know we often lead in and talk about the latest COVID situation, but I must admit this COVID situation, my God, we're getting sick of it all, aren't we? I mean, I know you've had, what is it, the fourth or fifth lockdown here in in New South Wales or Sydney. I'm not too sure what, what part of the lockdown, actually, but we're in lockdown. And I'm so keen to see the end of all this. Yeah, I, 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 so is everybody else. And yeah. vaccination's the key to it. Yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, my God. Look, going to M&A stories, the last few weeks we've been telling one disaster after another and we were asking ourselves, can it get any worse? And sure enough, we came up with some absolute whoppers. We covered them, the big ones. And the way we left off um, last time is we said, why don't we just look at a success story this time round? Because yeah. I think... Yes, it's important to learn the lessons about the ones that go wrong, but there are lessons as well from the ones that go well. And I think you've got one here, which is personal because it's your industry, and it's about a deal that went really well. And I'm fascinated as to what the lessons from this are. So why don't you lead us in and just give us a bit of a color as to what this deal was about and who was involved. Yeah, and and of course, like you say, I've got a personal connection here because across my career, I held senior leadership roles with two of the players in, in the industry, SAP and J.D. Edwards. So to some extent, I know this from the inside. Okay. Um, let me just... Uh, set the scene as to the background of this. So early 80s through to the the mid-90s, business systems started to evolve. Most companies started out providing finance applications, and then that matured into manufacturing and logistics solutions. There was quite a number of players. The usual happened. The market consolidated over time. And as we get towards the early to mid-90s, there were several companies that became the dominant players, and that was Oracle, SAP, J.D. Edwards, and PeopleSoft. PeopleSoft. Indeed, yes, of course, yes. Now, broadly speaking, Oracle and SAP played to the big boys, the big, large, blue-chip corporates. Big end of town. J.D. Edwards and PeopleSoft played to the Mm mid-market. Okay. Right? but they also encroached into SAP and Oracle's markets as well. Okay. All right. So they were all competing. One common denominator across all of them, with the exception of PeopleSoft, is that none of these players in this business systems market had HR applications. Right. Okay. And the reason for that is because HR is complex, Not only have you got to be able to produce software, but you've got to keep it up to date with ever 
ever-changing employment laws, ever-changing legal laws. Surprisingly complicated, especially when you're dealing with cross-border situations and all that thing where laws and are different from yeah. one state to the next to a country. It, it, it is complicated. So you can imagine that it's not exactly something that people wanted to tackle. Mm. And PeopleSoft were the recognised experts in that area. And essentially that set the scene. That's how the industry was structured. Now, one of the things that would happen regularly is that J.D. Edwards and PeopleSoft had a common interest in partnering together. Right. And so they would often do that, particularly in situations where they could then do that to beat SAP or Oracle. Mm. And so that was the scene. Okay. Now, the catalyst for this that I'm going to talk about started in 2003. Right. And out of that friendly relationship between PeopleSoft and J.D. Edwards came an idea of, well, why don't we actually merge Right. Okay. So this is around 2003, you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Good. And they actually announced it. So they, they agreed that they would. It was agreed that PeopleSoft would buy J.D. Edwards rather than the other way around. Right. Right. And the whole thing was going to be done and dusted within that year. Was it that uh, PeopleSoft was a kind J.D. because from a market cap perspective, PeopleSoft? Yes. Yeah, okay. it was it was partly that, and also from the point of view of breadth and debt debt products, PeopleSoft were much better placed market wise and size of customers and so on. Okay, than JD. all right, okay. And, all right. and I think also around that time, because I was actually there at that time, Ed McVaney, who was the founder of JD Edwards, was actually looking to retire and go and sail his boat or whatever. Yeah, okay. What upset everybody was that PeopleSoft and J.D. Edwards came out with this friendly announcement that, hey, we're going to merge. Right. And literally a week later, and it was only days really, right, Oracle launched a hostile bid for PeopleSoft. So just as I understand that, when you said J.D. Edwards and PeopleSoft were going to merge, did they actually sign the deal? Yes, it went through. So the deal was signed. What, not completed or was it signed? It wasn't, com- it, 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 it wasn't completed as far as okay, I remember. Okay, so it was signed. Okay, so and then, yeah. and then straight after that announcement, then Oracle was going to make a takeover bid over PeopleSoft and therefore, and also J.D. Edwards, of course. Correct. Okay. And Oracle being Oracle, Larry Ellison, the PeopleSoft board got really upset because, first of all, the offer that – Oracle came in with, even though it was a hostile bid, and the board felt didn't reflect PeopleSoft's true value in the marketplace. Right. And the board rejected the the offer. There were several legal challenges made to try and stop Oracle from acquiring PeopleSoft, none of which particularly eventuated in a solid outcome. Hmm. Um. Because people were saying, well, it's going to damage the value of PeopleSoft and J.D. Edwards. And Mm. and one of Oracle's spokesmen came out, a guy called Jim Finn, who who I know, said, you know, we remain committed to acquiring PeopleSoft even with the addition of J.D. Edwards. Right. Right. Now, just to add all this into the mix while this is going on, so you've now got 
a hostile bid by Oracle for PeopleSoft stroke JD Edwards. Right. right. The marketplace is reacting. There's all sorts of egos being thrown around all over the place. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of this, while all this is taking place and barbs were being exchanged, SAP launched an advertising campaign to basically say to uh, the combined customers of Oracle, PeopleSoft, and J.D. Edwards, hey, you don't need to be dealing with companies that are always going to be fighting with each other. Come over to us. Right. So basically, they just saw an opportunity for a competitive attack whilst perhaps shareholders and customers in particular a little bit sort of like, hey, what does this all mean? What's going on? Yeah, SAP was fueling the fire by saying there's massive uncertainty. You don't know where these companies are going to go. Oracle can't deal with J.D. Edwards because they're totally different companies. Mm. Mm. Come over to us. Okay. And guess who was driving that campaign? Wasn't the guy I was talking about um, in our last podcast? Acquisition of economy. Ah, okay. Oh, he's a good guy, isn't he? Leo Apotheker. Right. It was Leo that was behind all of that. Okay. So, basically what's happened is the uh, PeopleSoft board have rejected the offer. Right. Um, They raised a a legal suit saying that Oracle's bid had interfered with PeopleSoft's agreement with J.D. Edwards and that it was going to impact the value of that deal by $1.7 billion dollars yeah oracle then comes back and says well we'll revise the terms of our deal and mm. basically there was doing and throwing between the two but at the end of the day oracle's bid was successful and oracles acquired both jd edwards and so the board accepted it and then obviously the attack made by sap well might have been good in a tactical sense but that didn't do anything to derail. Uh, it was, it no, didn't do anything to derail. No, that was just that was just SAP trying to throw another can of fuel on the fire. Okay. Yeah, okay, and, and, just you know. just to make it more difficult. Yeah, okay, I understand. It's it's yeah. a competitive environment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, really, the great thing about this deal, when you look back on it, was from Ellison's point of view, from Oracle's point of view, hmm. it was very clear, well thought through strategy. Right. And let me talk about why. Okay. Because here was the issue. You had a marketplace with those key players, SAP, Oracle, J.D. Edwards, PeopleSoft. Once J.D. Edwards and PeopleSoft got together formally, they could essentially become a third challenger to both SAP and Oracle. Right. Right. They had the power to do that. Mm. separately they didn't and whether they'd have been successful challenging that's not the point they would have successfully taken significant revenues away from both of those organizations right okay but ellison saw that right which is why he jumped straight in a week later with a Hostile so bid. it's interesting you say that, Rob, because it's almost like you're trying to do is retain revenue. He he saw that revenue was potentially under attack, and his job, a part of the acquisition, was was as much as anything revenue retention. 
It, it, it was, but it was also revenue opportunity. Yeah. Oh, let's put it this way. If he did nothing, he would have faced revenue, potential revenue loss. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And he would, he would have yeah. faced significantly increased competition in the marketplace. Okay. Okay. And as far as any venture of wanting to try and secure part of the mid market space, mm. uh, that would that would have that would have been wiped out completely yeah. okay. because okay. Yeah, the JD Edwards and PeopleSoft would have dominated that that mid market. Mm. Mm. Right. But if you unpack the strategy of what Ellison was doing, mm. right? What he managed to do in that one acquisition was, first of all, he took two major competitors straight out the marketplace. Yeah. And that he got access through those two to the lucrative mid-market where both SAP and Oracle were, were trying to perform but couldn't. Mm. Right. Second thing that he got, immediately was that you got something in excess of 8,000 global customers hmm. all paying between 18 and 20% annual maintenance hmm. on software products that were considered absolutely stable and didn't yep. need any further development or maintenance yep. or support. So yep. free cash. Yep. Right. And then at least in principle, and I tend to agree with this at the time, mm. what he also had now was direct access to those 8,000 customers mm. and the potential to walk in and convert them over to Oracle. Okay. And if by virtue of conversion, that had been a higher subscription fees, would it mean? Yes. Be, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got 8,000 new customers that you can go sell to that you wouldn't have had yeah. yesterday yeah. when they stayed with J.D. Edwards and, and PeopleSoft. So it sounds like to me that the, the, the clever thing about all this was, if I could just simplify, Rob, let me know if I'm right or not on this, is that it did, one, it reduced competitive pressure, the yes. competition, they took the competition, reduced competitive pressure, the the, this deal also for, for for Oracle generated free cash. It's like money for nothing. So you yep. had immediately a massive uh, stream of, of additional revenue with which you had to do nothing at all. So that goes beautifully into the whole business case, I must admit. And, of course, there's an option to charge higher fees by converting custom, uh, customers over to Oracle. Yeah, yeah. And additionally, when you convert those customers over to Oracle, not only do you convert them over to Oracle applications, mm. but those applications also remember an Oracle database. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So <laughs> it's interesting, Rob, as, as we speak about this, like something going right. And this one yeah. is a very clever strategy play but a very clever financial play. So both it's strategically savvy, it's financially savvy. And that makes up for a great M&A outcome if you, if you get both. And that's certainly what Oracle did. Mm. As those same conversations had been going on in SAP. Mm. Mm. But SAP just wasn't savvy enough and quick enough off the mark. Mm. Okay. And Oracle beat them to it, basically. Mm. Mm. Now, the great thing was that what, Oracle, what 
Larry Ellison knew, and, and I keep talking about Larry Ellison because essentially back in those days, we're talking about late 90s, mm. right? Uh, both Oracle and SAP would not have been the companies they were without their very flamboyant founders. Sure. So over in SAP, we had Hasso Plattner. Yeah. Oracle was Larry Ellison, mm-hmm. right? And they were both ruthless they were both egomaniacs and they enjoyed nothing more than throwing rocks at each other um, from either side of the pond right (laughs) now the other part of the strategy that was brilliant from ellison's point of view was Mm. that he knew that he didn't have to integrate that acquisition right right now that would have been a massive job both Culturally and technically, that would have been massive. But it sounds like to me, uh, Rob, that to achieve the strategic and financial outcomes of this deal, they weren't dependent upon integration necessarily occurring, at least no. integration in the, in the traditional sense. No. no. So essentially, essentially what they were doing is just waiting for each J.D. Edwards customer Yeah to come for a license renewal mm. and, and offer mm. them a sweet deal to convert to Oracle. It's interesting because just so often when we talk about M&A deals in the past, it, it, it's actually integration that really delivers the, the financial oh. returns. Yes. But yeah. in this particular case, the returns are delivered irrespective of whether you, which you don't need to integrate the, 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 is, uh, as, as a result of the deal itself that the, the returns are delivered. Yeah, absolutely. So it makes it much easier, obviously, because integration is, is a complex exercise. And if you're using that to, to deliver synergies, well, yes, you can do it. And, of course, plenty of organizations can do it. But don't think that you must. No. Now, I'll go back to one point. This is on the application side. Hmm. Re- remember I said earlier that all of these businesses like Oracle and SAP and J.D. Edwards and SSA and all the rest of them developed through the classic business systems sort of maturity. Yeah. None of them had HR systems because, as we said, it's it's a highly complex, ever-changing software. Hmm. Um, And Ellison, I think, one part thought that by – acquiring PeopleSoft, that was his his additional badge of honor, and he could dominate the ERP market space because they'd be the only company with a HR application. Yeah. Of course, what all he did was he created a catalyst where everybody else just turned around and went, oh, bloody hell, we better go and do that now. And and within a space of a few years, everybody's announced that they've got a a HR application. So that bit of it didn't work too well. Okay. But, you know, compared to taking two big competitors out Mm. of the marketplace, stopping those two competitors getting together to beat you up, then, then pulling all the cash out of them. Yeah. And having the opportunity to convert them over to your club later yeah. on. Yeah. Brilliant strategy. So it's interesting, Rob, obviously just taking that uh, final point you made around PeopleSoft and others copying the HR function into their respective product suites. I mean, yeah. this was a, 
an incredibly successful deal, M&A success written all over it. Great move on behalf of Oracle to do this. If you were to say the lessons, the big takeaway points that you would apply to other deals, what would those takeaway points be? What would you say that it is right here that you could be doing as well on your deal? I think the first one straight away is, uh, and I'll use your words from previous podcasts, Yep, this deal had clear purpose. Yep. Right. And it, 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 it was a multifaceted purpose. Mm. Mm. Right. And Ellison was crystal clear about what he was doing. And he carried that all the way through. That sounds interesting because one of the things we've mentioned in the past is that, and this is where I think deals sometimes go wrong, is that they often know what they've got to do. They often know how they're going to do it, but they don't actually know why they're doing it. Not in a way that really connects with the strategic purpose. And and it's such a powerful motivator. If you can answer the why, it is so important. And I'm talking really about Simon Sinek. Always, always start with why. Yes. And there was a clear why for Oracle. It was Ellison at his best. Right. Right. He not only was it strategically a damn good deal, but of course he had the, he had the glory of being able to lord it over SAP. (laughs) Yep. Well, I think, I think the big thing for me in actual when I was listening to you, Rob, is, is, is that it was basically strategically savvy because it delivered on the why, but it was also financially savvy too. And I think when you get those two together, that makes for one hell of a successful deal. The other thing that was clear about this was that all the way up until that point, software deals that were going on Mm. involved quite extensive integration. Right. So now we're going on to the next lesson here. So we've got one. So, yes, integration. Yeah, tell me about that. Well, the lesson in this was that integration is not always required. Right. Okay. Because... Again, we're going back to the fact that J.D. Edwards and PeopleSoft were firmly focused on the mid-market customers, Mm. Mm. right? And so, wiring both of those Mm. put their competitive threat away, but essentially, Oracle didn't have to do anything Mm. other than allow those two companies to continue to sell their software into the marketplace. So, in that one swoop, without doing an integration, he actually got access to the mid-market right. waste of software. Right. And literally literally no integration costs. And as we've said before, integrations normally where the core value resides. Yes, exactly. So in this particular case, you did need to integrate in order to deliver the synergies from this deal. Yeah, it, it, it the value was in taking competitors out of the marketplace, yeah. reducing the, the risk, and then creating an environment where you could sell to those customers mm-hmm. um, 
and and convert them over to your product. Indeed. It's interesting with um, private equity firms, it's often quite a common strategy for them for actually not to integrate their businesses. What they do is simply bolt them on. And so a bolt-on strategy is entirely appropriate. It's particularly, you don't need to integrate in order to realize the value from from an M&A deal. It's it's not not mandatory. Obviously, some organizations do it because that's the means by which you deliver the synergies, but that's yep. not always the case, and it's not the case here. Yeah. Now, the third part of the strategy that, at least on paper, made a lot of sense mm. actually didn't work out as well as Ellison thought. Because mm. mm. what he thought he was going to do was then be able to walk through the front door of every mm. J.D. Edwardson PeopleSoft customer yep. and say, well, they're not there anymore. Yep. Right, and there's going to come a point in time where you're not going to get support anymore. Right. So switch over to Oracle. Right. right. Now, what he didn't account for was that JD Edwards customers and PeopleSoft customers are fiercely loyal. Right. Right, and they were not going to be bullied into moving over to Oracle. Right. Okay. Uh, and, right. and in fact, what happened was a sub industry sprang up hmm. to support them. Right. So, what's the, in, so in this particular lesson, what, what's the takeaway point here, here, Rob? The takeaway point is that the value that you sometimes see in a deal, you need to be clear that that value is long term and sustainable. Right. And, okay. And in this case, it wasn't. Right. All right. So sustainable value. So always make sure that yep. whatever value you're you're putting to this deal, make sure it's long term and sustainable. You, you, I'll use a motor car example. Imagine that you're you're Ford, mm. and you acquire Holden. Right. Right. And you sit there and you go, "Oh, this is fantastic!" Because over time, all of those Holden people are going to have to come to me and buy a Ford. Yep. What you don't realize in that is that Holden people are extremely loyal to the Holden badge and the Holden brand. Yep. And wouldn't be seen dead in a fraud. So, as we're talking here, Rob, I just wonder if there's a sort of a subtler, a more deeper underlying point here or lesson. Because I know in previous podcasts, we talked about the importance of talking to customers because often they're the final arbiters of MA success. Yep. Is it here that perhaps not recognizing that the customers wouldn't move across to Oracle and perhaps that should have been known? No, unfortunately not. And to be fair to Oracle, Hmm. their strategy was was sound. Okay. Good to a point. Okay, so the thing that happens in the software industry is you you buy SAP software and you buy version 4, for example. Mm. Okay, and after a while, someone comes along and says, well, you've got to upgrade now onto version 5. Right Now, if you turn around and you sort of go, well, actually, we don't need to because we're quite happy with version 4. Hmm. Well, come a point where SAP will turn around and say, well, uh, uh, here's a letter, Mr. Client, because as of December this year, we're no longer going to provide support on version 4. Right. 
Right? Now, that was the case with Oracle. Oracle was simply going to send all the J.D. Edwards customers a note that says, uh, you've got two years, and at the end of two years, we, we won't be supporting J.D. Edwards or PeopleSoft applications anymore. Mm. So you'll have to upgrade to Oracle. Mm. Right. What they thought at the time was that all those customers would turn around and go, oh, bugger, you know, right, okay, well, we're sort of forced into that. We've got to. Mm. But what happened was a whole industry of J.D. Edwards qualified technical people mm. set themselves up in a sub-industry Mm. went round to all those customers and said, don't worry about it. We'll support your version 4. Mm. Okay. Okay. Right? And so there's still J.D. Edwards customers out there still running right. J.D. Edwards software, happily being supported by a sub-industry that looks after them. Right. And so that point didn't work as well as Ellison thought it was going to. He thought those customers would be forced into moving to Oracle. So what, what lesson do you think Larry Ellison took from that? What, was he, what would he be his takeaway point? Uh, uh, to be honest, Larry Ellison is not a sort of man that learns lessons anyway. Uh, I, I, would, I would say the point out of this is that you've got to keep your eye on the ball and you've got to have certainty about your strategy. Yeah. And in this case, this was, if you like, Larry Ellison's ego yeah. convincing himself that yeah. these customers wouldn't have a choice. They've got yep. to go to Oracle. Yep. 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 And, of course, the market turned around and went, up your sunshine, we're not doing that. <laughs> All right. right. So, anyway, look, I, I think, anyway, that's a, it, it's a negative lesson, but nonetheless, it's a lesson that whilst the strategy was fantastic overall, this was just one minor blip, I suppose, in what yeah. was otherwise is strategically a very successful deal. You would have to say that 80% of that deal was visualized from the beginning, yep. executed superbly, yep. and delivered. Yep, yep. Right? Yep. You would have to say that the cost of the deal mm. was low yep. because there was never any need to integrate sure. Sure. those into Oracle. Okay. All right. The only bit that he didn't win out on mm. was forcing all of the JD Edward customers to move over okay. to Oracle. So so Rob, from your perspective, are there other less key lessons you draw from, from this particular deal? Uh, those will be the top three. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you've listened to the, the story yes. from an outsider's point of view that's not in the software industry. What yes. do you say? Well, I see from this one, if I was to summarize, Rob, I, I, I'm looking at this from a sort of a distance, and I'm seeing it just the overall principles that we apply and all the lessons that we, we, we've been discussing on past podcasts. And I would say that strategically, this was a clever deal. And it was clever because it, it had a why to it. It had a strategic imperative. He knew and was able to communicate to others why this was such a strategically savvy deal. But, of course, it was also financially savvy too. And I think yep. it goes on to the second point you've made is that integration, which is so often the graveyard of so many M&A disasters, 
is something, an area he could avoid. And so if you can deliver upon the strategic and financial outcomes without integrating, then that is a very, very good deal indeed. Because your promissory note on what you, you're getting from this deal could be cashed immediately. It, it doesn't depend on bolting on or bringing together things in order to deliver the synergy. So that, to me, is the other really good lesson from that. And then the final point, so there was a part of it where he couldn't get the J.D. Edwards, the customers to move over across Oracle. Okay, so that may not have been successful, but and I say a big but, that was small in terms of the potential financial opportunity compared to the overall um, result from this deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think this is a, a fantastic story insofar as talking about success and just going back to the lessons that we've often discussed in the past and previous podcasts about the key criteria for success in any m deal. So I think it's a great story, Rob. Yeah, no, and I, I, I think it was worth talking about. Again, from my point of view, we've spoken before yep. about deals that get visualized in the boardroom yep. Yep. and then morph into something different by the time the deal gets done. Yes. And then you're having to pay extra dollars for the integration and you don't end up with the value. Yeah. Yep. But in this case, it was a very clear line yep. between the vision the strategy and the execution of it. Mm, mm, mm. And it was done with swiftness. Yep. Or everybody by surprise. Right. And it's it was classic Ellison. Very good indeed. Very good. Well, Rob, all I can say is that it's good to talk about a successful M&A deal. But if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind returning when we do our next podcast to go into another disaster. And so I will I will drag another one up from the history book. Okay, excellent. I look forward okay. to it, Toby. Okay, and, of well, and great talking to you, Rob, as well. And I hope it will go, go down in Melbourne. We'll, we'll carry on surviving in uh, with lockdown up here in Sydney. And yep. um, all it really takes is um, goodbye for myself. And bye for now.